friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Hayden, word from the sideline, said that you are questionable for us the game with a finger. What the hell happened? I was cooking, and then I was cleaning my knives, and I sliced my finger. And like you said, you nailed it. When you first look down at it, you're like, Oh, there's no blood. And then like a second later, you're like, yep, there it is. So I got a, a decent little cut there. It happened to just be the biggest knife I own. So I'm trying to treat myself by eating better and cooking for myself. And then this is you. what I get back. So I'm back on the Postmates plan for the rest of the week. Yeah, just only Chipotle for the yes. uh, for the rest of the week. And I guess that's why the, the fancy use model was two hours late today was because your finger. I guess that's it's hard to type. <laughs> it's hard to type. Today, everyone knows it's our favorite show of the week, your favorite show of the week. Again, we look back on week nine, put some narratives in perspective, figure out why players did well, why they did not, if we can carry that moving forward as well. And obviously put the game tape to the actual production on the field. And that's all by the fantasy usage model, which you can find on underblog.underdogfantasy.com. And we'll go through running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. But before we get there, Hayden, it's been almost a week in the making since the NFL trade deadline. By the time you listen to this, we might know the outcome, but let's do, let's hypothesize. Let's have some fun about Odell Beckham, a player just four or five years ago seemed to be one of the top players in his position in the NFL, and that wasn't going to change. Obviously, we know what's happened in the last few years, but let's really whittle it down to just this exact moment we know he has cleared waivers so he is free to sign with whatever team wants to sign him Hayden I guess my question to you is there's two parts of this where do you think he'll end up and where should he end up so the first part's easy because our friend Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports he said that Odell Beckham prefers a team in playoff contention that features an offensive-minded head coach and a creative veteran with a track record of success. So just those two things eliminates about mm, 80% of the league. I think that the the two that make the most sense is the Chiefs and the Packers. You have Patrick Mahomes, you have Aaron Rodgers, playoff teams. And I think between those two, if I were to pick a landing spot for Odell Beckham, it would certainly be the Chiefs. I think for his end, he needs to prove that he's a legitimate top 20 wide receiver again. This has been years and years and years and I think he still could be like a number two wide receiver in the NFL, but I don't think that he's a number one anymore. And I think that for his best interest, it would make more sense to go to a spot where he can be on the field and be attached to a good quarterback before he goes to free agency next year. So um, those are the, my top two teams, the Packers and the Chiefs. Do you have any other teams or just those two or what? No, I'm, I'm trying to get in the mind of Odell here because there, there's a few thoughts. One, do I want to go to the team to try to be the alpha? You know, and if that's the case, a lot of those teams aren't going to be good or aren't going to be fun passing offenses to be a part of. I mean, the Raiders have already basically said no. The New Orleans Saints, you have Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill throwing you the ball. And then you have around you Marquez Calloway and Traquan Smith and Deontay Harris. That's not fun either. Right. So I would almost want him. And, you know, their two paths are, are totally different. But I would almost want him to take the Antonio Brown approach to this, where you, for years, were incredible. For years, you were at the top of your position, but swallow some pride and go to an offense that has great pieces around you, too. 
because that will allow you to find more open space. That'll allow you to have less attention on you. Now that's an extreme, obviously Odell shows up, excuse me, Antonio Brown shows up. You're attached to Tom Brady. You have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin on the outside. But I do think there was like, and obviously he was ostracized from the NFL basically. But to your point, Odell either needs to determine, okay, is my goal to win a Super Bowl this year? Is my goal to still prove that I'm a number one wide receiver? Or is my goal to have an NFL future beyond the 2021 season? And I think maybe each of those have a different answer and a different outcome to it. Yeah, I I do think that the Chiefs fix both of those issues. He can try to win a Super Bowl. And I think the other good thing about the Chiefs is – since the Chiefs' offenses look so bad, if he gets in there and then all of a sudden, whether it's him or not, the offense looks good again, everyone's going to be like, hey, look what Odell, he saved this off- offense. So I think that would be my number one choice. I had a couple other teams written down. They, they don't perfectly fit that same criteria that we just went over, but the Chargers make some sense, Saints, Falcons, the Seahawks, the Patriots. Those are some other teams where either they have a bunch of other wide receivers that's not like a perfect fit, or the quarterback's not as good, or they're like barely on the playoff contention list. But I think those are the, the the teams that should be involved. Ultimately, though, I'm not sure how much interest all these teams have in Odell Beckham. They could have either traded for him. They could have either put a waiver claim in. I know that the contract got away with some of that stuff. But it, if he was really, really good still, teams would have already swooped in. And the fact that right when the trade deadline or the, the waiver deadline passed and immediately Justina Anderson tweets that he's going to take his time that tells me that those teams are just probably not that interested. So if that, if that's the case and I'm Odell, I'm knocking on Patrick Mahomes' door. Give me the veteran minimum. I'm already getting paid by the Browns plenty. And I'm trying to go out there and be take over that Demarcus Robinson, uh, Byron Pringle spot, move Tyreek, uh, Tyreek Hill into the slot a little bit more, and go out there and be a starter next to Patrick Mahomes. And if you yeah. think you're that good still, you're going to be able to put up some numbers down the stretch. Yeah, a, a couple more things. I know that Kenny Galladay ended up getting more money in free agency. But if you remember back to last March and last April, the number one name that seemed to have a lot of interest among top offenses was Juju Smith-Schuster. And, you know, his game is very different than Odell's. Even though earlier this year on this very show, we talked about Odell lining up in the slot in his first game back. But the three teams, obviously, he went back to the Steelers. The other two teams that were involved in that were the Baltimore Ravens, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Baltimore will no longer be interested because they went and drafted Rashad Bateman in the first round. We've seen Marquise Brown be a top six wide receiver at his position and fantasy points per game this season. So that does leave the Chiefs. And Hayden, nothing has changed for them since that moment. I mean, they tried to go out and like get a spark in Josh Gordon, and that hasn't happened. And in fact, they've declined. And we're going to talk more and more about Tyreek and Darrell Williams in this offense a little bit later on. But... I, I really do feel that that would be an an ideal spot. I don't think monetarily it works. And it certainly sounds like Pete Carroll, the Seahawks have some interest. I also want to bring up that prior to Russell Wilson's injury, the league at large and the viewers were not in love as third parties watching the Seattle Seahawks offense either. You know, it's a lot of layups and then try to hit these vertical shots. And there was a lot of gray area and nothingness and frustration in between. But from a viewer's perspective, Obviously, I mean, it makes so much sense. The Chiefs would be it, but I just don't think monetarily that will happen. And the Packers and the Seahawks, they run the ball way more than the Chiefs do. So, like, I just don't see how this couldn't be the Chiefs if you're Odell Beckham. As long as they are willing to give you any money, that's what I would do. You have a a big contract to go after 
this next offseason. That's what I would be playing for. And you need to buy yourself some time, get into the playoffs. I think that just to me, this makes so much sense for the the Chiefs. This is going to help Travis Kelsey a bunch too. And the way that teams are defending Travis Kelsey is telling us that they don't have that they're not feeling threatened by the other wide receivers behind Tyreek Hill. So I think that Odell Beckham to the Chiefs makes the most sense to me. One final point. You mentioned Odell from via Josina, basically saying, we're going to take my time with this. Look at the Stefan Gilmore trade when it sounded like that morning. And we see this often. Oh, this player is going to be cut. But if one team really wants him, they'll trade a sixth, seventh rounder for him to make sure that they have him. It was just a waiver claim that they needed. And I understand we're halfway through the year and cap space can be difficult because so many injuries and things are are happening. But it, it really is a prove it moment. I'm shocked to even go back and look at Odell's box scores throughout his career. I've totally forgot. And maybe this is just my brain not functioning. He had 133 targets in 2019 in his first year in Cleveland. And obviously his last year with the Giants, he only played in 12 games that year, but he had 124 targets. So we haven't seen Pico Dell, a guy who looked like he was going to change the position and create so much separation and playing so much bigger than his size. And we've also seen him hobbled this year too. Um, but again, this show was all about isolating a player versus his production. And Hayden, in those first two games with the Browns this year, I think he showed flashes of what we had seen in the past. And again, I know he's been hobbled since then, especially with the shoulder issue. But I bet and I hope that we do see some of that magic moving forward for the rest of the year, too. I agree. I think his legs are fine. He still has plenty enough juice to me. To me, the bigger issue, like you just mentioned, it's the shoulders and it's both shoulders. And I think that's where it's leading to a little bit of the drop. So um, as long as he's he has buy-in and his shoulders medically check out, I think that he can still be a number two wide receiver for sure, even on a contending team like the Packers or the Chiefs. And I'll mention it. Remember the spiel about A.J. Green this summer that when you don't want to be in a place, it can impact your performance, your play, your work all around. It's the same thing with you at home. It's the same thing with me doing this show. Like if you're not happy, you're not going to do your best. Um, That obviously, obviously happened with, with the Cleveland Browns. Okay. Back to regular schedule programming here. Let's jump to the fantasy usage model. Again, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. And before we do anything, all of you, I just want to tell you that I love you. I appreciate you. You helped us get to 7,500 subscribers on this, the very channel that we call Underdog Fantasy. Thank you. We appreciate it. The goal is still 10,000 subscribers. So if you're new, like 40% of you who are watching our channel and never subscribe, boom, do that. We're here on Sundays, twice, Tuesdays, and Thursdays as well. All right, let's find some breakouts, Hayden Winks. And the first place to start is James Conner, Arizona Cardinals. 21 carries, 96 yards, two touchdowns, five receptions, 77 yards. Hayden, for the entire year, you know, we talk about the great running backs at the top of the draft, namely in Jonathan Taylor and Najee Harris. We've also talked about Daryl Henderson and Leonard Fournette as real difference makers in the middle rounds. James Conner is about to ascend into fantasy football royalty for the next two to three to four to six weeks, as long as Chase Edmonds is dealing with his high ankle sprain. Yeah, and there was a couple of notes I had specifically with that. Eno Benjamin, 78% of his touches last week came in garbage time and he didn't get that many of them what you immediately saw was James Conner go straight into this like mini bell cow 
role. And he ended up having 20.5 expected half PPR points. And I think that's kind of the baseline. This is kind of what happened with Kenyon Drake two years ago before he had those ankle and toe issues last season is they gave him a full three down workload and he has a size profile to handle that. We've seen it before, but more importantly, I think that he has a little bit more juice than what people give him credit for. There was that one uh, screen that he took out for a long play and he actually was breaking uh, some good strides in that. So I think that you're getting a player that's probably underrated on film because everybody was just tired of looking at on uh, looking at him behind the Steelers offensive line. But I think that James Conner is going to be not only like a top 12 running back, but I can see him being like a top five running back for as long as Chase Edmonds misses and Kyler Murray's out there. This offense is just breeding fantasy points to their running backs. So when you take Chase Edmonds out, and I don't think that they're going to give you know, Benjamin that much more work, you are almost locking in an RB1 for what the next two to four to six weeks with Chase Edmonds out. It's an offense that we absolutely love. And Eno Benjamin, I think, has some fans in the fantasy football community based on probably pre-draft love that people... I kind of like them. Yeah. A little bit. Look, maybe... And look, this is also an offense, again, if we want to put offenses in boxes that they've operated all season with two running backs out there, right? And so I I highly doubt they completely funnel everything over to a 25-touch James Conner who gets everything between the 20s and inside the 20s. So someone someone is going to spell him with with touches and assuming that is going to be Eno Benjamin. But I'm with you. More importantly than anything, what we can take away with James Conner is a player who, when given the opportunity this year to have that role inside the 10, inside the 5, 11 touchdowns. And then when he gets the Chase Edmonds role out in space and throughout entire drives, looked amazing this Sunday too, Hayden. He was making people miss. He was forcing missed tackles in the open field against the 49ers, an awful tackling day by them. And that's all we can ask for, right? This wasn't just a couple goal line plunges. Boom, he got that opportunity. It was legit feature franchise running back level stuff. And Hayden, you've made this point that when we look through fantasy drafts, you know, in future years, identifying a guy who is going in the double digit rounds, who has a resume or a pedigree of being a former feature back, and you're getting that at an extreme discount. That's something to keep our eye on moving forward. I think that Leonard Fournette fit that bill perfectly. And I think that the other thing that I was kind of betting on with James Conner this year is just, Chase Edmonds small and he's never been a three down back. And there was some level of optimism that James Conner could just kind of take some more work than we were expecting. And I just keep going back to the Kenyon Drake stuff. Like Kenyon Drake wasn't very good last year, but he was still had plenty of productive weeks and closing out the 2019 season. Kenyon Drake was literally a league winner. So like the formula was right there. And I mean, nobody wants to believe me, but I promise you last year's tape with John James Conner was at least serviceable. Um, and I think that he's been doing the same thing. Speaking of people believing you, let's uh, pull up the receipts here, Hayden. For this, I guess. last year, Kenyon Drake, first round pick, right on the one-two border, stunk up the joint. He still had a 20% win rate despite having that role. He was really bad in it, 
and he still had a 20% advance rate. The average is 22%. So he basically broke even. James Conner is being drafted 100 picks later than where Kenyon Drake was being drafted last year. Even if he doesn't have the full Kenyon Drake role, that's a massive discount. There's a ceiling to chase there too. So uh, Kenyon Drake wasn't good last year. James Conner wasn't that good either. But the, the difference is is this wide. I, I can't get behind that. I can't believe you just Trojan horsed James Conner into this conversation because I've, I've tried to stiff arm you for it for, for months now. Uh, but you did it. Congratulations. It's a, it's it's one of my best takes. So the James Connors take, it, there's a it ceiling to chase there. And I think like Kenyon Drake, there will be some serviceable weeks. He's being drafted after a pick of 100 right now. Like if, if Chase Edmond gets hurt, James Connors has been a third down back. And we've seen this offense. We were drafting Kenyon Drake in the first round for this role. This is a, a, a offense that's very functional on the ground here. I He's being drafted like pick, pick 112. We need a social. Love it. Look at you. That was from, I believe... July 13th, Hayden? I can tell because look at my skin color. It is way less tan. I need to get back to the hot best ball summer. Come on now. Uh, anything else on James Conner? Again, what stood out to me, along with the five receptions, 77 yards, was this wasn't simple production. It was in an offense that was without DeAndre Hopkins, without Kyler Murray. Like on paper, it, it can get easier. Rodney Hudson helping. And by the way, Shame on me, shame on a lot of people, but I guess it was truthful and factual at the time. But Cliff Kingsbury deserves some credit this year, man. Like we talk about coach of the year. He has received no love for it. Almost everyone is anticipating a decline that Cincinnati Bengals-esque this Arizona Cardinals team at some point. Hey, when I went back and watched this game, he was help- he was elevating everyone around him versus being elevated for the last few years. You absolutely love that. Like, recalling plays with Christian Kirk in the previous weeks and in week one, and then throwing passes off of it. It's beautiful stuff. Turns out when Andy Isabella and Keyshawn Johnson are starters at your wide receiver spots, and then Christian Kirk's playing out of position, your offense is going to look bad. And then you throw in everybody into the perfect role. And then, so yeah, I was hoping that Cliff Kingsbury was going to have a bad season. Then USC can go rehire him as our <laughs> offensive coordinator. But I think that ship has sailed. We're saying a lot of positive things about James Conner. Do you want to bring up Chase Edmonds is still an awesome football player. Like he was unbelievable this year, especially this one week where he was hitting the spin move over and over. But as Hayden's alluding to, he never had this role for an entire season. And so now that we're getting here with a guy that was even more of a value later on, forcing a much like 50-50 split, not 50-50, but a significant role where James Conner can add that on top of his already inside the five, inside the 10 makes this incredibly, incredibly glorious for the rest of the season. Okay. Speaking of that, let's talk about Nick Chubb. He's coming off one of those weeks. Hayden calf injury looked great. 14 carries, 137 yards, two scores, two catches, 26 yards against Cincinnati Bengals. I believe he had a 50 plus yard run as well. We got that explosive play, but then what else? we get Hayden we get wake up on Tuesday morning to COVID positive for Nick Chubb for Demetri Felton and for John Kelly so what we have now is just Dearness Johnson as the healthy player in the Browns running back room at the moment first let's talk about Nick Chubb and then we'll talk about the backfield as a whole so it sounds like Adam Schefter is giving at least some chance for Nick Chubb to get back out there because he is vaccinated. He needs some negative tests before that to happen, but most likely he's going to be out. And Dearness Johnson is clearly the guy last week. We had full Chubb before uh, 
full Chubb was taken out of the game. He had 16 opportunities. Uh, uh, Dearness Johnson only had one. So it, yep. he had the role and that was going to be there for the next couple of weeks. I think that if uh, Dearness Johnson is um, the guy, he should be a top 15 running back for this next week. If he's out there. So if you went back to your waivers, I would spend a lot of money on him. I need an RB2 really bad in the league I care, care about. Um, I'm placing trade offers for him. I think that he's like the one-week rental um, ahead of week 10. Talked about this a lot, and White Teller just got a huge extension, the amazing guard for the Cleveland Browns. A big difference as we head into the second half of the season, and all of you out there know, to pay attention to once we get around NFL playoffs time, Look at the offenses that have a cohesive, talented, and healthy offensive line. How much of a difference that makes. Look at Tampa Bay. Look at the Rams for years and years and years. I can look at the Eagles when they won the Super Bowl, Panthers when they got there. I can throw out so many more uh, examples. Um, The Browns have dealt with a bunch of injuries along their offensive line already this year. And Jack Conklin is still out at right tackle. But on that side of the ball and on defense, it's starting to trend in the right direction. Now, it's a tough matchup against the New England Patriots, a team that we know likes to bully, likes to be powerful up front, and Christian Barmore, the rookie, is playing unbelievable football right now. And Hayden, I also think the big difference between Dearness Johnson and Nick Chubb is the latter is the foundation for explosive plays on on that team. (laughs) One is named Nick Chubb. (laughs) He can reel off 30, 40, 50, 70-yard runs, and while Dearness Johnson has great vision, Alfred Morris-esque in terms of putting his foot in the dirt, reading the zone and getting up the field, those might turn into 20, 30 yard gains rather than taking it to the house on long scores. That's great. That that separates though, like a running back 12 from like the number one overall running back that week. That's Jonathan Taylor-esque, that's Derrick Henry-esque, that's Nick Chubb-esque. I just wanted to make that slight little difference because so often we think that like, oh, you you run and run and run, and then boom, your explosive plays are over the top to Jonathan Peoples-Jones. But as we've talked about in the show so many times, maybe the Browns' foundation for explosive plays is in their running game. I think Belichick's going to do everything they can to make Baker Mayfield beat him, and 100%. they're going to probably stack the box like crazy. But even with that, I think that this is going to be 15-plus touches for Dearness Johnson. So you just have to kind of chase the volume. And I forgot to check this, but I think – the Browns ran more 13 personnel than they did all season long this past weekend. And so they might even invite all of that, you know, have DPJ out there as the only outside wide receiver, have multiple tight ends on the field, invite all that stuff in the box, just bank on them blocking better to open things up or boom, hit that play action vertical shot over the top to DPJ. They started pulling their linemen and Wyatt yes. Teller, like on five Monster. different plays. I mean, was grabbing people and throwing grown ass men all the way over. That was like one of the, I think probably my favorite clip of the week was the Wyatt Teller stuff. Okay. Let's go to their opponent because the New England Patriots backfield is also up in the air just a little bit. And I have notes on like the whole running back usage. Cause even in that game, Hayden, before the injuries to Damien Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, we had some uneasiness, some turmoil in that backfield. But right now, Ramondre and Damian Harris are in the concussion protocol. It is way too early to know if one or both or none will be active on Sunday. So that leaves Brandon Bolden as the healthy player, someone who has obviously taken a hold of that passing down work, Hayden, but has shown plenty between the tackles and a lot of trust in that area too. Plus JJ Taylor, who's been inactive the last two weeks as the other back. 
the Patriots are leading the NFL in running back fantasy usage, which means that they're just giving them more targets and carries and goal line opportunities than anybody else. So Brandon Bolden is going to be very viable, even if he doesn't play all three downs. I'm curious, though, do you think that Brandon Bolden would be a, let's say, 65, 70% down player? I think he would just because they've had J.J. Taylor inactive and talk about small backs. That's what exactly what Jonathan Taylor is. So I think Brandon Bolden would be a top 15, top 20 back if both Ramondre and Damian, Damian Harris are out. We just don't know. These concussions are impossible to predict. I think historically it's about like 50-50 that they play next right. week. So I wouldn't go too crazy on the wire for Brandon Bolden. But if you are desperate, I think that he has some upside for next contest. I think it's almost impossible to predict a role for J.J. Taylor because in the game that they absolutely demolished the New York Jets, J.J. Taylor had like one or two rushing touchdowns from the one-yard line. Um, That's not the role he is probably going to have. I will say they have used him in the past almost like a Deion Lewis, and they've evoked that name. And they use Deion, despite his size, as a between-the-tackles runner. But again, I think this backfield is so much about trust all season long. Fumbles, pass protection, catching passes, all that kind of stuff, being in the right position. Brandon Bolden has the most in the bank of any running back on this roster so far. Yeah. I mean, we've seen Damian fumble. We've seen Ramondre fumble and miss pass pro. And then Brandon Bolden's just been consistent and yet unspectacular. But then you have this where we've seen wheel routes out of the backfield so often the last few weeks with the Patriots, and he can make catches like this. I think another thing is he doesn't, he's not a tell. And I think that they've kind of changed that with Damian Ramondre where they're not tells. But Brandon Bolden, if they want to spread it out even more, to me, I'm with you that a 60 to 70% workload makes a lot of sense if if either or both, I should say both, Ramondre and Damian are out. I'm with you. It has to be both to play Brandon Bolden. Yep. But let's play the game where both Ramondre and Damian Harris are active. Now, this was not great. Before <laughs> Ramondre Stevenson had gotten uh, into the concussion protocol himself, uh, he went into it first, then Damian Harris did. The opportunities, Ramondre Stevenson had 12. Damian Harris had 11. Brandon Bolden had six and that's before the, uh, the injury. So this is officially a three back committee. We do not like that. I still think that they trust Damien the most, but the fact that he's losing some snaps isn't great, but I keep going back to, this is like probably the only backfield that um, because they're using their running back so often that you can kind of get away with it. But Ramondre played more on early downs, not in garbage time than he has at any other point in the season before his injury last week. Yeah, if you're watching us on the YouTube feed, the play that really got the Patriots going was Brandon Bolden and Ramondre in the backfield. The little slip screen that saw Jermaine Carter and Shaq Thompson occupy the same area and follow Brandon Bolden, and that allows Ramondre to take it about 40 yards out of the backside and weave through tacklers downfield. And then on that same drive, he had three more carries or three more touches, including a 13-yard carry. And then with three yards left, they bring in Damian Harris to get the touchdown run. Now, on top of that, Hayden, Damian Harris then starts the next drive and gets the first touch. Um, again, I th- what we have seen around every single corner is, despite what Twitter, the bubble we live in, wanting Ramondre at every single mess up for Damian Harris to then emerge as the lead ball carrier, the Patriots keep giving us Damian Harris because he's dependable, because he's trustworthy. And five straight games of the touchdown. 
You know, three of those games, 100 yards, I believe, another one with 80 yards. So when he's in the game, he's absolutely productive. I, I think an injury like this is going to have to happen in order for us to get a full Ramondre Stevenson experience the rest of the way. Right. The last four weeks, Damian Harris, even though he's u- losing some snaps to Ramondre, is still the RB9 in fantasy usage. It's just like the mentality that the Patriots have. So I think that Ramondre, he is basically, I kind of view him as like a like an insurance plus type of back. If if Damian Harris is active and you're playing Ramondre Stevenson, your, your team's probably effed. But right. the fact that they're mixing in a little bit kind of takes some of the ceiling and floor away for all three of them. Yeah. I mean, 18 carries for 101 yards against the Cowboys plus a score. In that Jets game, which they put 54 points up on the board, 14 carries, 106 yards, and two scores. Chunk gain after chunk gain. And if they wanted to, he could have had another two touchdowns and another 50, 60 yards in that game. But, you know, they were up by so much that they they rotate in terms of touches. Then it's the Chargers, 23 carries, 80 yards, and another score. Um, the big, the big, I think the easiest actually decision will be if just one of these guys is active, then you play them. Yes. Easy as that. And then if both of them are out, Brandon Bolden. Now, if both are active plus Bolden, then that's when it gets the cloudiest. Yeah. I would still, I would still put Damien as that like flex play and then wouldn't play the other two. Me too. Okay. Long rant, but I think that's important with these muddied backfields right now. Let's go to Michael Carter, a headliner of the show last week, Hayden, 13 carries for 49 yards, two targets for one catch for 37 yards. Uh, We go from a 14 target game to a two target game, but we have had five straight contests of at least 10 carries for Michael Carter. The post by bump for the rookie has helped him where we at? Cause he's up the way at what running back four in fantasy usage over what the last four or five weeks. Yeah. That's over the last four weeks. And this isn't half PPR. If this was a full PPR model, it would probably be even a little bit higher. I'm going to come out with some bad news though. I think that Michael Carter is the sell high of the week. And there's a couple of reasons why we're getting closer to a Zach Wilson return. I think that would be a downgrade uh, from the white guy or Josh Johnson. Uh, They're also expected to get Tevin Coleman back. And I know that doesn't matter that much, but Michael Carter still playing primarily on first and second downs. Ty Johnson's that third down back and Tevin Coleman is a first and second down player. So if, even if it chops off only 10, 20%, that's still going to be a little bit of an issue. And, the Jets have just had the best possible game scripts you can possibly write up these last couple of weeks. So um, I think that I'm still going to be viewing him as an RB2 moving forward. But if you can get a legit like top 12, top 15 running back, I would definitely flip that. I think that when Zach Wilson comes back and Tevin Coleman back, it's going to be a little bit more muddy than we're used to these last three weeks. I think we're in the point of the calendar where it's difficult to give away a running back two or better. You know, and I think that's still what you'd be giving away with with Michael Carter. But and I was going to talk about this when we talk about Elijah Moore, the difference in Zach Wilson, who inevitably is going to come back as a starter, because I don't know how Robert Sala can go throughout a whole season and just act like Zach Wilson isn't better or good enough to play. Is such a emphatic and important part of this offense are the checkdowns to Michael Carter or the design screens or designed receptions. I mean, again, nine targets against new England, 14 targets against the Bengals. And right now, Mike White and Zach Wilson are operating two different offenses. Now it's the same offense, but they're doing it in a completely different way. Yeah. Um, 
one guy wants to play in structure, and then you have the number two pick who wants to make things look pretty throwing down the field. So I think that's a trickle down to everyone, not just Michael Carter, but also Elijah Moore. So I'm with you. There's more uncertainty than I would like moving forward with, with this running back that I think clearly, clearly looks like the most talented player in that Jets backfield. In both phases, running between tackles yep. and as like a passing down back. He can play either one. Currently, they're just the Jets are, I think, giving him one thing at a time. And they're saying, all right, you're our best between the tackles rusher right now. We're going to use you and we're going to flick the ball to you a couple times per game. But I'm with you. Just the bottom line, Zach Wilson's not as good as Mike White right now. And that's not a statement long term, but that's a fact for the season. I'm totally with you. And I think if you don't believe that, you're lying to yourself. That's just where we're at week 10 of the 2021 season. That might not be the same thing even in the middle of 2022 season. Okay. Let's go to Daryl Henderson. Um, Daryl Henderson against the Tennessee Titans, just 11 carries for 55 yards, four targets, three receptions for three yards. Uh, he left for a brief period of time with an ankle injury. He did return here, Hayden. But we know that if you watch this game, it was what, like 21 to three at one point or 21 to 10. And we've covered this show for a very long time. And especially with Jared Goff being down last year in terms of his play, that when the Rams go behind significantly in negative game script, they just abandoned the run. And despite, again, averaging five yards a carry, Daryl Henderson was scripted out of last week. And we got Sony Michelle playing in those negative game scripts ahead of Daryl Henderson. So this is kind of a, a chicken or the egg situation. Was it his injury, which is why he wasn't playing late in the game? Or was it because that's where they trust Sony Michelle more? But either way, Sony Michelle, like we said it for the last couple of podcasts, he needs to be rostered everywhere. I mean, this guy, it's so obvious what his ceilings could be, like literally top five running back. Um, so he's just he, – this is another reminder just because Daryl Henderson had his fewest uh, expected half BPR points in a healthy contest last week, and Sony Michelle's uh, carries and stuff were going up, that we need to have Sony Michelle uh, rostered in most formats. I think this is super smart, and you keep alluding to this too. It might not be as perfect as what we're getting with James Conner from here for the next few weeks, but it would be very similar to what it was. And that's without Sony Michelle, you know, having this role that he might be rostered in your league because of obviously James Conner was that because he had 11 touchdowns. Um, we don't want anything to happen to Daryl Henderson, but if something does, Sony Michelle immediately becomes a top 12, top 15 running back each and every week. It's, it's really that simple. Yep. Let's go to Daryl Williams. 19 carries for 70 yards, three receptions for seven yards. Um, change of name in the backfield, Hayden, but the production is still bad. Uh, we're going to talk this at, at the passing game, too, for the Chiefs. Our guy, T-Strack, put out this tweet. Four full games where CEH played this year. Team averaged nearly 26 rushing attempts, had 130 rushing yards, over five yards per carry for the team, and then without him, it's dropped about three rushing attempts or two rushing attempts. It's dropped about 40 yards in total. And then obviously they're averaging less per carry. I think that it would be impossible for us to sit here and dissect why that's happening, Hayden. But I think it's showing you that it's the blocking, it's the talent. Just overall, nothing is working with the Chiefs right now. The eye test is in. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is much better than Daryl Williams. Like that's, it's as simple as that. We still just don't know anything about CH's status. Uh, they said that these next two weeks are going to be like critical for CH. That's what Andy Reid said. That was like, I don't know what the hell that means. Um, so let's assume that CH is out again. Daryl Williams last week led all running backs 
with 20.4 expected half PPR points. The Derek Gore stuff got removed. He only played a couple snaps. Jarek McKinnon actually played more than Derek Gore, and that was like a basically a 50-50 contest for most of the game. So Daryl Williams is their guy. He's at least an upside RB2. Even though he's bad, the Chiefs are using him in this kind of bell cow role. So um, I think for the next week or two or three weeks with CH, uh, it's going to be Daryl Williams. And of note, the Chiefs have a bye week in like I think week 12 or week 13. So yeah. like we're getting closer to like, okay, what's the point of rushing CEH back? Let's get after the bye. So that's one thing to keep in mind. But bottom line, Daryl Daryl uh, Williams, not as good as CEH, but he's at least out there. Yeah, I believe it's week 12 because next week it's the Raiders and they have the Cowboys. Uh, so they jump from November 21st to December 5th against the uh, the Denver Broncos. Like, look, no one is going to advocate for CEH to be an outstanding talent or a good talent. But Darrell Williams is just an adequate football player at, at this moment. And we are just coming off, though, Hayden, a, a, a game where Patrick Mahomes threw more passes behind the line of scrimmage than he has for the entirety of the rest of his career. You know, so yeah. like he's targeting these areas of the field. Sometimes it's the wide receivers, sometimes the tight end, sometimes it's to the running back. So they're going to keep these players involved. But uh, yeah, not not what we expected. It's so, and we're going to talk about this with Tyreek Hill, but there are so smart people out there, much smarter than me, like Nate Tice, like Deontay Lee, like Aiden Seth Galino. And none of us know how to explain this Chiefs offense right now. You know, like we all just kind of say the same thing and I listen to them and I hear what they say and it's just inexplainable. So let's not try to do that right now. <laughs> let's go to the Philadelphia Eagles instead. Um, Jordan Can't Howard. Can't explain this either. <laughs> so we got a three, three-way three split. Our favorite here on the show, Hayden. Let's bring it up. Jordan Howard, 17 carries for 71 yards and a score. Boston Scott, despite being pulled as if, as if he was a starter in week nine, excuse me, week eight, 10 carries, 40 yards. Then Kenny Gainwell, you know, gets his two touches inside the five-yard line and scores a touchdown off of them. Now we have the Eagles offense coordinator coming out and saying that Kenny Gainwell is improving every single week. Shut up. Don't like you. And says Boston Scott and Jordan Howard are playing well. Basically, we have no idea who's going to lead this team in carries each week, and it's just a quote-unquote committee along with a quarterback who also carries the ball 10 times per game. Yes, it is absurd the usage it was clearly boston scott is the 1a two weeks ago then it was clearly jordan howard and then you get kenny gainwell with not one but two goal line opportunities despite being really small and that's not where he wins so this is just completely crazy i will note though uh we talked about how the eagles were uh number one number two number three in neutral pass rate a couple weeks ago over the last three weeks they are dead last in neutral pass rate and that's with miles sanders out so like none of this is making sense to me but i think that they've just said F it, we're going to run the ball a little bit more, which kind of makes sense to me. you got Jalen Hurts, who could be good off of play action, and they can use him himself. So I think this makes more sense for the Eagles, but I think there was a huge turning point in the, the way the offense is set up. So if we can get some clarity, there could be a winner. But if this goes back to Boston Scott next week, like I wouldn't be that surprised. If Kenny right. Gainwell gets more snaps, I wouldn't be surprised. So I guess you can roll the, the dice on Jordan Howard, who I think has... 12.8 and 13 expected half EPR points in the last two weeks. But you know what you're getting yourself into if you're starting Jordan Howard in the year of 2021. Uh, and they're coming off of their best possible matchup of, of the season in the Los Angeles Chargers, a team that we know 
is just a sieve and giving up Russian production. And the next couple weeks, it's the Denver Broncos. It's the New Orleans Saints. I mean, crap. I'm with you. Though. Like, Boston Scott even started the game, Hayden. He got a three-yard carry. He did. And then Jalen Hurts threw five straight times, and they punted. And then you start giving in Jordan Howard, who then had the hot hand and was more productive and all that stuff. I don't know. It's frustrating. It's all over the map. I mean, you can't, there's not a trend here. This is just chaos. In it's almost as if they don't have a good plan, the Philadelphia Eagles, Hayden, and they're trying to figure it out each and every week. I mean, we'll talk about with Devontae Smith. The, the one plan they do have is they have three first round picks. I think all of them are top 15 picks next year. That's like their only plan. <laughs> Let's go to the Tennessee Titans, another backfield that we are trying to figure out the production. Adrian Peterson, 10 carries, 21 yards. Jeremy McNichols, seven carries, 24 yards, also gets three catches. And Deontay Foreman has the most rushing yards despite five carries. So first, I don't know if you want to do usage or if you want to do eye test. Hayden, what would you take from watching the Titans' backfield as the team thrashed the Los Angeles Rams? Well, the eye test is more fun. If I can get this to load, my eye test was that Adrian Peterson just like didn't look right. And it wasn't just explosiveness. There was like one play where somebody was in the backfield immediately and like his jump cut to avoid that guy was like, yikes. And they, the announcers were saying that he was uh, rushing a little upright than he's used to. What? The vision was kind of everywhere. One, I know- one point, Chris Collinsworth kept repeating that. I felt like three times every single quarter. I feel like that's always been Adrian Peterson. He always runs it upright. Has. But, but this is not good. Like he doesn't look nearly explosive, as explosive in like open areas, like small pockets than he has in the past. I think that's fair. Yeah, and I think even if that wasn't the case, they got Deontay Foreman involved early yeah. in the game. This wasn't just like blowout stuff. Like this was early on in the game. To me, if I was voting who looked the best, like without question, it was Jeremy McNichols. And we know he's yep. going to be the passing down back, and that's what he had last week. And I just think that he ran the best between the tackles too. So if I was like putting my chips in, like where this backfield is trending towards, I can see Jeremy McNichols maybe getting a little bit bigger piece of the pie than we're used to. I would expect Adrian Peterson's role to kind of come out the expense of Foreman, like as the weeks progress, as he learns the offense. But to me, I thought just Jeremy McNichols looked the best. And I think that's how I'm going to rank him for week 10, at least. I think it was a big feather in the cap for Jerry McNichols that this team was up, what, 21 to three, 21 to 10, and he still got 10 touches. Yeah. Um, because this is a player who, for the previous parts of the season, was only getting touches in 10-plus yard situations, second and 12, third and 10, second and 16. We saw an under-center run from him, too. We saw him using the passing game, three catches there. I mean, I have way too many notes on like the exact usage. Obviously, Adrian Pearson got the exact start. Um, Deontay Foreman didn't get his first touch until 9-10 left in the second quarter. I think I te- like if you really want to – try to predict the future on which pure ball carrier might be the best and gain the most yards. Deontay Foreman is probably your answer. Cause I think that he has maybe the best talent that we saw in this one individual game of five carries, but Hey, we always talk about high value touches. It's pretty clear that Adrian Pearson is the trusted player there. I mean, he got that goal line run. He got a wildcat play that was stuffed as well. I know Deontay Foreman got a couple snaps in there inside the five and inside the 10, but it, it seems pretty certain that the manufactured high value touches are Adrian Peterson's until he fails on them. Adrian Peterson's the goal line back. And even on that bootleg where Tannehill walked into the end zone, that was with AP. So AP is going to be the Correct. goal line back. McNichols is going to be the one on passing situations. I think that Foreman's just going to get phased out and that's going to 
help both McNichols and AP, but I don't think that you're going to love having either one of these backs. I do think that it is helpful that we know the game scripts that these guys are going to be playing in. So if they're going to expected to lose, maybe go to Jeremy McNichols. If they're expected to beat uh, a team like the Jaguars by a billion points, probably more of an AP game, but was not very impressed with, with Adrian Peterson. And I just think in general, I mean, the offense didn't look very good at all. Like they were averaging like 4.5 yards per pass attempt, like four yards per carry. I mean, it's a one game sample and they were playing with the lead and it, it was against the Rams, but that didn't look pretty like yeah. that. No point did that look pretty. It was just AJ Brown making a couple cool plays and, and Ryan Tannehill had made a couple of like really tight window throws, but like in general was not a good performance by the Titans offense. I know Mike Vrabel said that they're not going to change who they are. Hayden, prediction time, I think that they are going to change as they go along and they realize where they are and where the best pieces are and Julio Jones getting healthy and and staying healthy. They are going to have to evolve. And so that's something we're definitely going to track. And we're going to talk about the passing game here in a little bit with A.J. Brown. Okay. Dave Montgomery time. Speaking of head coach and coach speak, Matt Nagy told you all exactly what was going to happen. Dave Montgomery was going to be active. And when Dave Montgomery returns, he was going to lead this backfield in touches. 13 carries for 63 yards. And despite Khalil Herbert looking awesome, awesome for a few weeks, just four carries for 13 yards. And now we also get designed runs for Justin Fields here. Four rushing attempts in his first four starts. And now he's up to almost nine rushing attempts in his last three starts per game as well. What do you think of Montgomery, the player, and Montgomery, the usage here, Hayden? The Montgomery, the usage was totally normal. And I think that the, the big note from this game was just Justin Fields just looks so much better. Like yep. the last couple of weeks, he's kind of erased the pre-snap problems where like he was just getting murdered in the back backfield with a, a blitzer coming out of nowhere. Um and I think that he looked more comfortable just kind of reading things out and being uh, able to scramble things when things aren't open. And I think he's getting a better feel of the game. There's no question that he's looked much better like each and every week moving forward. So they get the buy. That means we're going to get a post buy rookie bump from Justin Fields. But ultimately, I think that it's going to be David Montgomery. And like you don't really need to hold, keep hold of Khalil Herbert if you, unless you have an open bench spot. It's pretty obvious that with David Montgomery healthy, he's going to be the back. And we've seen it with him. He's a top 15 running back um, as long as he's the guy. I think that Justin Fields looking better. Like that was the biggest takeaway, even for like David Montgomery is like this, this bears offense might be at least like functional. And like the first eight weeks, it wasn't. He stacked two performances back to back that are really solid. Like the 49ers game showed a lot under center, showed a lot of individual great plays too. And, carrying that out for through about three quarters. And yeah, I mean, making some of the plays that he did against the Steelers defense that has shut down some other quarterbacks this year too. look at you, Buffalo bills. Uh, Justin Fields showing that was, uh, was tremendous. Okay. Talking about San Francisco. Let's talk about Eli Mitchell, uh, eight carries for 36 yards, five catches for 43 yards. I remember the announcer saying when I went back and watched this game, that Cal Shanahan basically had like an Eagle eye watching Eli Mitchell uh, saying they're going to watch every carry very closely to see if his ribs would hold up. Obviously, this game script went out of whack incredibly quickly, but what can we take from Eli Mitchell here? There's a lot of analysis coming after this game because Eli Mitchell caught five passes, and I think uh, the previously he had like m- the most was only two. 
Yeah. And I think people were like getting really excited about that. And I, I did notice that Eli Mitchell was running more routes, but he still was a first and second down player. Jermichael Hasty was playing on third down. There was also like some some scuttlebutt about uh, I can't believe I just used that word. Um, that Jermichael Hasty uh, was like injured. I didn't see that. He actually came in, and then down the stretch, it was Jermichael Hasty as the passing down back. So, yes, definitely a win that Eli Mitchell caught more passes. I don't think that his role changed all that much. He might have got a little bit more, but it's clear this is Eli Mitchell who's looking pretty good yep. uh, between the tackles, and then Jermichael Hasty is going to be out there. My my other notes from this game was. I thought Jimmy G played pretty damn well and George Kittle looked good. Same thing with Brandon Ayuk. Those two just fumbled the ball and I just got this game all out of whack. But I thought this offense in general kind of looked okay, even though the, the box score wouldn't say it. I thought that Jimmy G, Eli Mitchell with Kittle and Ayuk, everyone back. I thought this was like the best the, the 49ers offense has looked in a while, even though it's probably one of the most disgusting losses that they've had. To me on tape, I can see how this can kind of pick up with all the pieces back. Defense couldn't tackle. They've also lost their right tackle for the season in Mike McGlinchey, which might be a little significant. It was bad. Yeah. Uh, I will never go on a platform and say what you just said about Jimmy Garoppolo because that will go against my brand. But I am with you that the two fumbles were the difference in this game and then the defense not being able to shut down the Cardinals. Again, I want to reiterate, I know he's missed some time here and been in and out of practice, but Eli Mitchell in games that are negative, neutral, or positive, typically is going to get anywhere from 15 to 18 carries. Yep. And let's eliminate from our brains draft picks that they've had with Raheem Mostert and just accept what we have in Eli Mitchell because he's the best runner on the team at this moment. And I would not count on anything in the passing game. That's just sugar on top of the cake or a little seasoned salt, flaky Maldon sea salt on top, you know? Just a little finisher. What we're going to get is 15 to 18 carries and Elijah Mitchell being productive. And I like it. I love it. It's a lot of fun to watch. Okay, two more. We also got Chris McCaffrey back in our lives. Um, Chris McCaffrey just lost his starting center, just lost his starting left tackle, and uh, the Panthers are lost on offense in general. But we did see 14 carries for 52 yards, four catches for 54 yards, which stands out to me, Hayden, because he didn't have his first catch until the final few minutes of the third quarter, if my memory is serving me correctly. We also only got like 30 snaps in this game from Christian McCaffrey as well. Uh, I do want to bring up that while the Panthers are going to suck and while we like having running backs and good offenses, because when you lead, you run the ball, the Panthers do not want to throw the ball. So we're still going to probably get 20 touches at least from Christian McCaffrey from here on out. He played 49% of the snaps. That's obviously going to get close to, what, 75 80% as soon as probably next week. So I thought that he just getting out of that game with his legs underneath him still was a win. And the better weeks are coming. He just didn't have the full workload like they told us um, he was. But I'm expecting probably like 80 90% of the peak Christian McCaffrey's that we got. I would not be surprised if he's the RB1 overall um, from like week 11 onward. The, the king of putting up silent 100-yard games. If you watch that game, there is no way you thought that Christian McCaffrey hit 100 total yards, and he doesn't. He's done that with 200-yard games. Yeah. Um, again, the goal for the Panthers is going to be to not throw the ball. <laughs> Literally. And they, they've been trying in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I also saw right before we pressed record um, that they signed on the fellow Trojan, 
Matt Barkley. Uh, right. And that's probably a sign that Sam Darnold's shoulder isn't acting up. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Either way, like Barkley, Darnold, PJ Walker, it's like getting close to about the same for me. And right. we're just hoping that Christian McCaffrey kind of provides could, some type of spark here. Could this, I don't know why this dog is barking outside. Um, could this be a, a Darrell Williams CEH mentor mentee situation with Matt Barkley and what he did with Josh Allen and Buffalo? To now with with Sam, I actually think they're just out of the same Darnold experience. It's pretty it's pretty obvious. Everyone is. Don't don't rely on USC quarterbacks and the pros. Like that's it's simple. I think. That. Do you know what I think? Playing my flag here. Not many people say this online. I think ultimately Matt Barkley is going to feature on the show one day. I think he's going to get a guest appearance here. For some right. reason, I just had that epiphany. I'm telling the future Matt Barkley will be on the show. Okay, let's close out the running back spot with a. Uh, with a player who a lot of people want to be freed. And let's talk about Javante Williams, who is honestly, Hayden, a different type of runner than we see across the NFL. Like what he's doing right now in terms of breaking tackles, it's in the same tier as Derrick Henry and in the same tier of Nick Chubb. And you and I love it. And the reason we want to talk about him is because he just had his first 100-yard game of the season, 17 carries, for 111 yards. It's so easy to fall in love with Javante Williams here, Hayden, but we always want to bring up that Melvin Gordon is still playing at a high level too, and Melvin Gordon still has a big part of this offense, and I don't expect that to change unless an injury does happen. I will bet big money that Javante Williams' highlight tape at the end of the season gets more views on YouTube than Melvin Gordon's, and I think that for good reason. There's not a back in the NFL that is breaking more tackles and yards after contact and all that stuff. It's Javante Williams. That's exactly what he did in college. It's no surprise. I will say that up until this game, it was very clear that Melvin Gordon had a better feel. And I think Melvin Gordon's still playing really well. Even last week, he was playing really well. But this last week, it was um, Javante Williams' best game in Sports Info Solution. They have this metric called de- uh, designed hole rate. And that tells you how often you're hitting the the designed hole. And you don't have to hit the designed hole. Like sometimes the designed hole gets closed and you should, you should be cutting back. But the fact that he got up to 88% last week on 21 carries is good because he was bouncing it too early. He wasn't uh, setting up his blocks well early on the season. And that's why I don't think that the Broncos were playing him that much. And Melvin Gordon's the exact opposite. Melvin Gordon does not have the juice that Javante right. has, um, but he has better feel. And I think that this was a big week for Javante Williams just having a better feel. Now, of course, a couple of those runs, like he had like a couple 20-yard runs. It was just wide open lanes, and like those are just gimme yards. But I think we're starting to see Javante Williams play a little bit better. I still think that, I mean, they haven't given up on Melvin Gordon yet. I don't think that's going to fully happen. But like for next year, like all these highlight runs, it's like, yeah, this guy's going to be an absolute stud in 2022. Yeah, the the Javante Williams, Ian Harditz highlight reel at the end of the year might might hit, you know, six six digits on the oh, yeah. Twitter algorithm. Um, I'm with, it's so cool to watch Javante run because tell me if this analogy is absolutely dumb, but they tell you when you're driving that when you hit like a puddle of water, you skid to turn with it instead of away from it, even though it's natural to turn away from it to stop yourself. It's almost, he uses a defender's momentum when he's being tackled, rolls with it and he escapes and just continues to go. Like, I don't know how he's breaking tackles in a way that other people do not. It's like Alvin in a lot of ways too, where defenders just fall off of him 
and he just stays on his feet and and keeps on going. And yeah, I think it's going to be really fun to get really excited about Javante Williams this offseason. And again, I hate to be this guy, but I want to reiterate that I it, it's going to be difficult for that to happen for the rest of the year because Melvin is not doing anything wrong. We got to remember Javante Williams, valedictorian at his high school too. Yep. Like this guy, more handsome, smarter, could run better than you. He's going to be a long-term win. I just think we have to be patient. I also think that the Broncos haven't like been treating this poorly. I think that what they've been doing, been getting Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams in both roles, they both play third downs. They pl- both play at the goal line and they're just kind of rotating series. That's the best way to do this. Like get Javante Williams comfortable in all phases and let them kind of play to their strengths with like different types of runs that you're giving them. It's very Mark Ingram to Alvin Kamara during his rookie year. It's it's very Gus Edwards and, and J.K. Dobbins. You know, we've seen these. It's very Jonathan Stewart, D'Angelo Williams. Like both of these guys can be incredibly productive. Uh, speaking of the Saints backfield, this popped up right before we hit live. And so I do want to bring it up so all of you are aware of it. Nick Underhill, friend of the show, tremendous Saints beat writer, said that the Saints tried out three running backs today and carry on Johnson, Rodney Smith, and Josh Adams. A few names from the past there. Um and that Nick has been hearing whispers that Alvin Kamara might have gotten a little banged up on Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons, something to monitor. So, Hayden, this seemed to be the exact reason why they traded for Mark Ingram to take some of the workload off of him. And I would be, I would assume that they would immediately just pivot over to Mark Ingram while a much different player and, and much older. He's at least been productive. And, and that could be easier than other situations behind this great offensive line. Yeah, Mark Ingram would be just totally fine back there. I do think that we need to get uh, promo code Alvin going. If he's going to miss some time, he needs some money to go heal himself. So if you are out there and you want to support your local Alvin Kamara, you know what to do. Promo code Alvin, underdog fantasy. There you go. Double your deposit if you use promo code the Alvin, or excuse me, promo code Alvin or promo code the show. Um, go try pick them on underdog, by the way. If you're a first-time depositor, five bucks, 10 bucks, 50 bucks, $99. Again, whatever you put in, we'll match it out of Hayden's pocket. Use promo code the show. I always love the chat during these shows, by the way. John, Tom, all of you beautiful people. Mr. Scampers, this guy, Angel, helping each other fix your own lineups, trades, all that good stuff. If you're listening to us on the podcast feed, always love you. Um, but go check out the YouTube at some point. Okay, we've done running backs. Guess what, Hayden? We continue to set records here as we approach week 10. Let's go to wide receivers. Um, we talked about the backfield for the Chiefs. Let's not talk about Tyreek Hill. Uh, Tyreek's been awesome this year. Top four in fantasy points per game, but we did get a down week. 11 targets, four receptions for 37 yards. I'm actually surprised his A dot this year of 11.3 is so close to his average A dot over the last couple years. Um 15 targets of 20 plus tar- 20 plus yards this year, Hayden, because obviously the Chiefs are just far less explosive, but he's maintaining some level of the same targets as he was previously. You're muted. His usage hasn't changed that much. That was, I think the first time I've done that on this podcast, I'm very mad at myself. You have about 10 in the bank versus where I am. In I know, right? Uh, the difference between Tyreek Hill is like it's at that 30 yard. Uh, toss he still can get behind the safeties but it's evident that like the too high stuff and I'm like so tired of talking about this is kind of making him either more boom bust where he, it's either a check down or way deep downfield and that's what this chart is kind of showing here so um, nothing to really fully panic about I think that they'll get this 
fixed eventually. But I think that some of those like like awesome plays where he's streaking across the field, like 25, 30 yards downfield, it's going to be a little bit harder to do this year. That doesn't mean that he can't win over the top. You can still, against cover seat defenses, too high, yeah. you can still win over the top. Um, it's just a little bit harder for like those like 20, 30, 40-yard chunk gains that we're so accustomed and to. As Rory mentions in your comment here, Tyreek Hill hasn't get, had a catch gaining 20-plus yards in the last five games, which is very un-Tyreek Hill-like. I do want to bring up this chart, and this is from week eight. This is not from week nine. But so much of this feels like an extension of the running game. Like if they can't make things happen between the tackles, it's a lot of yards after catch attempts, either behind the line of scrimmage or five yards down the field and somewhere in between there for Tyreek Hill. So opportunity is great, but just not the same exact areas of where he has been getting those in the past. Okay. The fa- real quick, the fantasy usage model, if like somebody's panicking about Tyreek Hill, is like it's a screaming buy. He's the wide receiver two in usage over the last four weeks, down to wide receiver 16 points. But like we know like where that thing's going to get corrected to. It's back to back weeks of 11 targets for AJ Brown um, this past weekend. 11 targets, five receptions, and 42 yards. We had guessed and wondered how they were going to utilize, you know, Jalen Ramsey because he's played so much in the slot and if he was going to match up one-on-one against A.J. Brown. Uh, The interception was a really, really fun play. Here it is. I actually think it's a great route by A.J. Brown here, Hayden. The ball is just behind a little bit late from Ryan Tannehill, and that allows, you know, Jalen Ramsey to, uh, to get his interception here. Again, I think we're on the upward trend of A.J. Brown for the rest of the season after the early season struggles that we've seen him at. That Jalen Ramsey play is like why he's just the best coverage corner on the outside. They put him in the slot. He can tackle. He can blitz. Like he's just like clearly the best. Uh, but going to AJ Brown, he's up to wide receiver six in fantasy usage uh, over the last four weeks. Wide receiver four on average over that time frame. That time frame also is like the cutoff point where he had those Chipotle guts. We're completely over that. I think he's going to be a top five uh, wide receiver. Even though we're, uh, I, have, I have some. I'll be honest. I have some concerns with the Titans' offense without mm. Derrick Henry after watching last night's film. But even with that, if they're um, in closer games, like they're going to get the ball to A.J. Brown. And if this run game doesn't work and they have to pivot, even though they don't want to, A.J. Brown's going to go nuclear. I thought that Julio Jones was kind of MIA, and I think that there was reasons for that. And to me, A.J. Brown's just like much better than Julio Jones is right now. So I think that he should be viewed as a, I'd say, top five wide receiver uh, the rest of the way. Big challenge for Ryan Tannehill moving forward because, I mean, it, he's the identity. He's the foundation. Everything is going to go through him, and it's much different. Even if, like, I don't know, the the game plan, the routes, the trees, all of it are are the same, it, it, it's just a much different mentality that defense has when Derrick Henry's not in the field versus just focusing on, on Ryan. But, I'm again, I, re- I said it before, but I, I do think they're going to have to evolve a little bit moving forward. Let's talk about... Deontay Johnson uh, against the Chicago Bears. Just six targets, five receptions for 56 yards. He did have back-to-back games before that of 13 targets. I know Chase Claypool also left with an injury during this game. Um, It was a down week in terms of opportunity here, Hayden. We've seen Pat Fryermuth emerge as an awesome red zone, end zone target. Uh, What do you want to say about Deontay Johnson? He is all the way up to wide receiver seven in fantasy usage over the last wow. four weeks. His usage like last week was kind of interesting, um, but in healthy games, he's still getting peppered with targets. And I wanted to bring him up and I made him the actual cover image for the fantasy usage model. If you want to go to underblog, 
is because of that Chase Claypool injury. It's a growing injury. That's what we're learning now. They're doing some testing, and this happened at the very end of the game. So I was like reading like the Yahoo blurb and stuff, and I didn't see uh, that mentioned. So this could surprise people, but I would not be surprised if Chase Claypool has uh, a couple weeks where he's on the sideline here, and there's nobody to throw the ball to. Like James Washington, Ray Raymond Cloud, like these guys just aren't it. So we've already seen Deontay Johnson flirt with wide receiver one numbers from time to time. I think that he's going to be a locked in wide receiver one. And this week, I believe they played the Lions and the Lions defense is like an absolute joke right now, even though they have fighting Dan Campbell as their coach. DJ is going to go completely off these next couple of weeks if Claypool's out. So that means if you're in Rob's league, go trade for Deontay Johnson and rip him away from Rob. Because Rob doesn't appreciate him. I'm just kidding, Rob. I Pretty when I make somebody the cover image on Underblog, like that usually means like go get this guy. <laughs> Even if I don't say it directly, like that's kind of how you should read into that. Uh, okay. Next up, coming out of a bye week, you want to talk about the Bucks wide receivers. I'm a, I'm assuming it's because we've seen Chris Godwin and Mike Evans both have massive weeks in Antonio Brown's absence. I do want to bring this up because even out of the bye week, maybe some assume that oh, that just means we're going to get A.B. back. doesn't sound like it. I mean, Matthew Betts, who is one of the Twitter doctors, is saying that you're still seeing swelling. He's still in a boot, I believe. He's posting workout videos on Instagram. This doesn't look as if Antonio Brown, I mean, if, if you asked me to give it a percentage, I'd say it's unlikely for him this week. And, hey, we know that when Antonio Brown's out there, there are going to be weeks and games where he is the team's number one wide receiver. The video, I was going to bring it up. The video looks really bad. I mean, he's like yeah. clearly limping and there's like some swelling. I mean, it was this what happened last week. This is what this video is from. Like to me, like he's got another week or two or three weeks to go. And the Bucks are in a position where they shouldn't rush AB back. Like they, they're getting plenty enough production. I mean, that's the video right there. Like that is not that's not right. Um, so I think that we're going to get chris godwins and mike evans into these massive wide receiver one splits if you just look at it this year chris godwins averaging 20.6 half ppr points in the three games that ab's been out that drops down to 11.9 with him in there so it's like almost a nine point difference and then mike evans goes from 13.4 all the way up to 18.3 and that 18.3 for mike evans half ppr points per game that includes the game where he's being shadowed by marshall Lattimore. we know historically who wins that matchup so both Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, how I think of it with AB out of the lineup, it's the Jameis Winston years. Like when both of them are wide receiver ones, that's how we should expect it. I haven't looked at matchups uh, for this next week, but those two guys are going to have massive, massive, massive usage for as long as AB's out. Yeah. Shirley asks, why does it seem like Antonio Brown was never put in IR? I believe they're also showing interest, if not have already signed Brashad Perryman as well. Someone who's been productive with them in the past feels like ages ago in terms of that. So, and they also have Jalen Darden. They have these other names that they brought. Tyler on. Johnson. Tyler Johnson at, at wide receiver. So maybe that's that's the reason why. And look, if the Cardinals, and there's a long way to go, but like, look, just one team is going to get a buy from the NFC. And the Cardinals are ahead of the Bucks. even though if you're going to pick a week to have a bye week, it seemed like this was the weekend to do it because I have a better sense of and thought that the Bucks are, are better than everyone else now than I did heading into the week. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think if you polled, Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, would you rather have and rush Antonio Brown back now during this period or have him for a playoff run? They're going to make the playoffs. And we know that they're one of the top five, top three teams in the NFL. So I think that that answers our question.
Okay. Let's talk about the Bills wide receivers. I actually want to ask you, and I wish I brought this to you about Stefan Diggs. Um, we can get in that conversation maybe during the preview show if you want to. But Stefan Diggs is not nearly as productive as he has been last year. And I think so much of that, to me, Hayden, is that Emmanuel Sanders is just a superior player to what they had in John Brown and Gabriel Davis. And I'm still kind of riding the high of the value that we got of Emmanuel Sanders this offseason. Um, we have Cole Beasley written down. I know you want to talk about Cole Beasley because it actually seems like Dawson Knox might be trending back towards playing soon too. So I just rewatched this last game and I thought the Jaguars game plan was pretty good. They ran more zone coverage than I was expecting them to do. And I think that the Dolphins did that as well the last two weeks. And it's like kind of the same stuff as like the Chiefs thing where they're just trying to take away the big play. And that's kind of limiting Stefan Diggs. But I just keep her trying to search for like all these splits. Is it the deep balls? Is it the red zone looks? Is it screens? I can't find anything. It's about the same usage. Like it's literally Stefan Diggs isn't as good. Like it's, it's just as simple as that. But even like last week, there was a couple yards after the catch plays where you can see the burst from Steph Diggs. So I don't know what to tell you. All I know is like the last four weeks, Cole Beasley's all of a sudden up to the wide receiver nine in usage. And I think that's because they've been playing more zone defense against them. We're got rid of that, that weird chiefs game where he was like not even playing because they were using that H back. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for why Josh Allen and Steph Diggs aren't playing as well. I just think it's as simple as that. They just like Josh Allen isn't as accurate. Steph Diggs just probably isn't as explosive as last year. And it's just hard to be that elite like we had last season. Well, it, it's tough to repeat, you know, a top three performance year over year over year. And with Josh Allen, what we saw was a tremendous leap in terms of clean pocket throws. He was like the most efficient passer at it last year. And then he leapt from like being 20th in deep ball rate to almost number one last season as well. So that can be a huge difference where you're not going to get just running hot all season long. And the other part of this, and I talked about the offensive line, the bills are one of those teams going through some major offensive line injuries this year. Whereas last year they were perfect. They were perfect. In that area. So losing Spencer Brown, your right tackle, losing John Feliciano, your starting guard. And then Josh just wasn't able to be as magical in those, you know, muddy pocket situations this past weekend or for much of the season as well. And I think that those little differences each and every week stack on top of each other and prevent you from having, you know, a top five season from Stefan Diggs like we got last year. Yeah, there was two plays, like both of the the interceptions that Josh Allen had, he was confused. There was a blitz, yes. there was stunted, and then a blitz, and then he just threw it right to a linebacker safety, I forget. And then the other one was just a basic zone look, and he kind of forced it in there when he shouldn't have done that. So he's just not playing as well. And I, I looked at the, the I think he's like, his catchable ball rate per sports info solutions, like down like about 8% or so. And that's kind of the difference between being the quarterback one and the wide receiver two overall and then dropping them down a couple spots. With all that said, like Steph Diggs has a, 10 catches, 135 yards, two touchdowns this next week. Not going to be surprised at all. I still view him as a wide receiver one, but Cole Beasley's production is up since he's deleted his Twitter. And Emmanuel Sanders is still that vertical stretch. And that's how they used him last week as well. Um, in fact, um, Josh Allen, like he had Emmanuel Sanders open like 50 yards downfield and didn't throw him the ball. Um, so we, I think we know this offense. We're just hoping that we get more 2020 bills. And yeah. I'm not sure if Josh Allen's going to play as well as that because it's hard to do. And I think we're seeing kind of the same structured defenses that Patrick Mahomes is dealing with too. Yeah. And 
as we talked about in the game that they faced the Chiefs, Dawson Knox was the piece that allows them to dictate personnel. And if he's in the game, then the other team typically will use more linebackers unless they start changing that. And so that would take one of those pieces off the field. And almost certainly it would be Cole Beasley. Did we talk about Devin Singletary and Zach Moss? I don't think we did, right? No, we did not. Did you want to talk about them? Yeah, real quick. Zach Moss left with a concussion. And obviously with Devin Singletary being the only option, he would be somebody that you would want to be playing. But even before that, Devin Singletary was splitting time with Zach Moss. Zach Moss was still out there for the two-minute drill, but Devin Singletary was playing on some of the early downs at the expense of Zach Moss. And I think even on the fantasy usage model uh, last week, um, I was saying that Zach Moss is like a RB2 with upside because he's playing on all the passing downs. That just like didn't happen last week. Um, so it wasn't just the concussion why his numbers were down. Like There was a Devin Singletary playing on more early downs before the concussion too. So um, if Singletary is available, I'd certainly pick him up. Let's talk about Marquise Brown of the Baltimore Ravens. And Hayden, I loved watching this game back, loved watching it live too. I, I want to bring this chart up and I want at the same time of saying this, Marquise Brown in week nine had the highest yards after the catch of a season at 79 yards. The next closest in, was in week two is 60, despite his lowest A dot of the season. And as you can see, there are at least two receptions here with really long yards after catch opportunities that were screens. It was a third and 17 screen. It was a third and 15 screen, which he converted that one. And then we also saw since Rashad Bateman has returned, they're running these RPO, you know, flat slant concepts with Rashad Bateman running the slant and in motion on the run, Hollywood Brown is, you know, creating separation naturally. And then in the flat concept there. So obviously it's the read to the running back. Then the slant, if the, linebacker drops with Rashad Bateman or the safety or whoever it is. And then it's a wide open spot to, to Marquise Brown. I say all that by wanting to make the point of Marquise Brown is not just a vertical playmaker. You know, I think so often we remember his time at Oklahoma, we see his, his body type and think he's just like a straight line burner. He's being used in more ways than that now. And he's getting to the point and obviously for the entire season, top five, top six in fantasy points per game. And based on all of this, despite them getting healthy at the wide receiver spot, it's not going away. I think with the Ravens now a six in neutral pass rate over the last four weeks, some of that uh, underneath uh, production that you're getting to Marquise Brown is basically how they're viewing their run game right now yes. because they're not running the ball. And typically those underneath looks would just be J.K. Dobbins outside zone or zone read with Lamar Jackson. They don't have to do that as much because they're getting more production from Marquise Brown underneath and just over the last four weeks and this is when uh, Rashad Bateman started playing Marquise Brown's still the wide receiver 12 in fantasy usage so I think like you were saying that just because his his role has changed he still should be in this boom bus our like wide receiver two maybe even a little bit higher than that and even even though Rashad Bateman looks totally fine out there so um, pretty interesting the way that they're using both of them I think that they're trying to do a little eye candy with Marquise Brown. That's what all the film grinders say when they put these guys in motion. Um, and I think it's going to be pretty effective. I, I will not be surprised if Lamar Jackson and this neutral pass rate just keeps staying at this like top six level because they're going to get Sammy Watkins back too. Uh, they did get Tim Boyle back. So that's kind of an interesting wrinkle. Um, but I think that Marquise Brown, like you said, he's just been playing much better this year than he did last year. Yeah. Lamar Jackson is sixth in the NFL in rushing yards, ninth in the NFL in passing yards. 
and some places today doing their, their midseason MVP stuff didn't even mention him. I mean, again, if you go back and watch that game against the Vikings, mm-hmm. the final drive of the first half, coupled with like the three drives or four drives in the second half, unbelievable football. Unbelievable yeah. football. He's amazing. Debo Samuel. Uh, Hayden, I know just dating back to the summer, you were always worried, well, what would happen? How would the targets be distributed when everyone was healthy. We haven't gotten that at all. In fact, we've basically just gotten Debo by himself in isolation. And what that's allowed for is Debo Samuel to be one of the best fantasy football assets for the entire year, like a top two wide receiver. But then this past weekend, we got Brandon Ayuka as basically a full-time player. We got George Kittle back. Both those guys had more receptions, I believe, than Debo, who goes five for 63 on nine targets. I am not panicking because I still have great belief in Debo being the best player on this offense. But where are you? I am panicking. And I think the reason why is just the volume concerns. The fact that he had like a 20% target or I think he had like 24% target share. George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk both had 20% target shares. That's just not going to cut it. Like he needs to earn more targets than that uh, over the course of the year, because you're not going to be in the game scripts. Jimmy G is not going to throw the ball 40 times. So I have my concerns with Debo Samuel. The one thing I can't fully know is how healthy he actually was because he came in with that calf injury and perhaps maybe with him uh, being healthier, he would earn more targets. But I thought that George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk both looked good. And I have not been able to say that in like seven weeks. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll be tracking this. I think that there's some downside risk here. And the fact that he had his season low 9.8 expected half PPR points in the one game with both of them back is catching my attention a little bit. So I wouldn't fully panic. I'm not going to call him like a wide receiver three all of a sudden, but if you can get one of these top guys for Debo, just because of the box scores recently, I'd be happy to flip that. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, maybe as a fantasy football analyst, I can improve on being able to sell someone high because I still think selling Debo now is selling him tremendously high. And I, I would hate to still lose a talent like this because, again, I think he's going to get production no matter what. And I know it was just 63 yards this past weekend, but that's not who the 49ers want to be at all. And I think that they re- – while you've said you haven't been able to say like Brent Nayuk and George Kittle along with Debo Samuel for seven weeks this year, it's because we've seen Debo balling out for seven weeks this year, you know? Right, but like are they going to tear their calf and like be in the doghouse again? Like, that's he- like the thing. Or is this just a one blip on the radar and Debo is still the best player among all three of them? I think both things can be right. I think that Debo can be the best. And then when they are in bottom five and neutral run rate or neutral pass rate, and then all of a sudden he's got a 29% target share instead of a 35% target share. Like it's harder just to make the math work out. And like when I say sell high, like it doesn't mean like he sucks and like he's tanking down all the, it's just like, Oh, maybe if I can still get a top six wide receiver, I would flip that because I think that Debo Samuels would be closer to like wide receiver 16 overall instead of like wide receiver four. So yeah. um, it's, it's the toughest thing. And this goes back to like psychology and like business and all that stuff is like, everyone's worried about like what happens when I'm wrong and like, they don't want to sell high. And there's like this intrinsic value of something that you own is worth more. Um, but if you can make a move for like AJ Brown, like sign me up for that. Ooh. How about Debo for Marquise Brown and James Conner together? I would do that for sure. Yeah. Uh, interesting. And there's always like the the thing at the 
end of the story or path that we could get to here where on paper, the 49ers season is over. Kyle just isn't going to admit that right now, but ultimately when he does or they get ruled out, it doesn't make any sense for Jimmy Garoppolo to start. Like Trey Lance would have to start in those situations. Do you, do you think that it's better for these pass catchers when Jimmy G's in there instead of Trey Lance? I would say most yes. likely yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah, So that's a little, another little threat. Okay, talk about a player who started off on a mesmerizing high that's kind of been down for the last two weeks. It's time to bring up Mike Williams here, Hayden. And I don't know if it's totally fair. Where does he fit in the fantasy usage model right now? Because we really haven't seen 100% full Mike Williams in recent weeks. Because, again, prior to the bye, he was hobbled. Then out of the bye, it was a lower workload. And this past weekend, he had a huge, huge 49-yard catch that I'll show after this. So the chat's been fired up about this one, and I've been ready to defend my Mike Williams stance here. So in week six, he has that knee injury, plays like 39% of the snaps. I think we can all agree, throw that game out. They go to the bye week. You can't get fantasy points on your bye week. Last time I checked, throw that week out. Then you have the Bill Belichick game where we talked about where he was bracketed coverage. Uh, Justin Herbert didn't look good. We talked about in the preview show how we were expecting this offense to not look that good because – of what they did last week and then against the Ravens as well in the week prior. Um, so I think that that was a concern that Mike Williams didn't play well in that game, but I think that we can also kind of write that one off. And then last week, what we saw simple as this Darius Slay played a really good game and Darius Slay was moving on both sides of the formation, basically following Darius Slay. And the bigger concern with the Mike Williams was against the Eagles. They played a bunch of two deep safeties a lot and a lot of the times Mike Williams' route was still in progress downfield when Justin Herbert would hit the check down. And it was extremely effective. That's not a knock against Justin Herbert. But I think that those contests, those the poor matchups, when you have like a legit Darius Slay's a good corner again, and against that type of defense, it was going to always be the Keenan Allen game. And going back to just the, the, the recap show, I already put the Benji of the week on Mike Williams for this next one. I'm not going to be selling Mike Williams. I think that he's a fantastic buy buy low. We can see what happens. There's nothing about the offense that's really changed for the Chargers still playing with pace, still playing with neutral pass rates. And I think that Mike Williams is going to get back, especially if his knee has been a little bit of an issue. You'd have to assume that that only gets better, not worse. Minnesota, then Pittsburgh, then Denver. So while, you know, a couple of those teams – haven't played perfectly or how they wanted to for much of the year. I'm talking to you, Minnesota and Denver. They've also had some really bright moments too. And Pittsburgh has, has done quite well, even though this year they're allowing more big plays than they previously had in the past too. Uh, Definitely one to track because what a difference maker he was through the first five games of the season. And I do think part of this Hayden is we go back to our priors. You know, Mike Williams had never had a five game stretch basically of what he did to start the season. And then now it's kind of four down games and four big games. And I think that there is a story to tell of why he struggled like you just did. And I totally am with you because, again, that game against the Ravens, the entire team was banged up. Offense, defense, everything. And then against the Patriots, obviously you're going to shut down the top outside corner and then Darius Slade tracking him and following him throughout the game. So, yeah, it's definitely one track. It is the most excuses I've ever had in a podcast ever, but I, I truly believe that the context is going to win out. This is against my own fantasy usage model. That's how much conviction I have in Mike Williams. <laughs> we didn't even do that for, for Mike Davis. 
We saved it for Mike Williams. Okay. Well, he did not earn it, to be fair, Mike Davis. Let's talk about Hunter Renfro. Uh, I think you have a crush on Hunter Renfro, Hayden. I might. I might. And <laughs> what's crazy about that is I have always been like, dude, why would you ever draft Hunter Renfro? Not a good athlete, blah, 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 all that stuff. He's been good, man. Like every single week, the fantasy usage model likes him. And I watched the tape and then he's been absolutely cooking people in his routes, like his double moves and all that stuff. And it's very clear that Derek Carr is on the same page. And if you look at the fantasy usage model right now, uh, Hunter Renfro is the wide receiver 22. And um, he's the wide receiver 34 in half PPR points over the last four weeks. They have nobody else to throw the ball to. Like they're going to give Deshaun Jackson a try, but Deshaun Jackson's not a volume guy. Uh, Zay Jones is not a volume guy. Brian Edwards went out there and didn't come down with a single catch uh, in his first game without Henry, Henry Ruggs. So to me, it's just going to be Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. And I think that Hunter Renfro is actually now a good enough player to kind of handle like six, seven, eight targets per game. And I wouldn't be that surprised if they started saying, screw it, he's going to be in 12 personnel as well. He's He was an 11 personnel only guy, but I think that he's good enough and that they should let him go cook out there because um, he's just so much better than these other uh, Raiders wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, there's a fullback and a tight end on the field for this uh, end zone touchdown. And he's going against James Bradbury. By the way, this is the type of receiver that gives James Bradbury fits. Oh, yeah. A shorter, short area type wide out. And yeah, I mean, he's one of the two outside receivers here. And what he does so well is creates slivers of separation. He won like three times on that individual route. And you brought up a Sean Jackson. I understand that that's a name. Uh, prediction time, Deshaun Jackson is not going to succeed with the Raiders to the level of the type of vertical production they've got in the past so far this year. And how that's like, I mean, two points of this. One, it's a mentality that has shifted in Derek Carr for him to test vertically. But it's also having the players to be successful down there to also be efficient. And part of me thinks both of those are going to change, you know? And if they do change, that's going to help Darren Waller and that's going to help Hunter Renfro, like, well, like what we've talked about. I think just the threat of like Deshaun Jackson in theory is going to help Hunter Renfro. Like it, it's it's almost the best case scenario for Hunter Renfro to have the deep threat, but not somebody that's like but one who's actually bad. getting the actually getting the targets. Well, yeah. I think that if you're a safety and you're a game planner, like are you a game planning that Deshaun Jackson's bad? Or are you like, damn, that dude still runs four three five and he's one catch away from killing us for an 80 yard touchdown. Yeah. So this might be the best scenario where they're not going to manufacture touches for Deshaun Jackson. Like they were for Henry Ruggs, but if you right. can still get defenses playing back because Deshaun Jackson, like that could actually end up being a, a not so bad thing for Hunter Renfro. Yeah. If we ever do see a Hunter Renfro who doesn't come off the field, like we are suggesting is a possibility. That's jackpot. Yes. That's jackpot. Let's talk about Elijah Moore, a rookie who has already had his bye week a rookie who is really coming on over the last few weeks. Hey, I want to bring up his, his route tree, his target tree from, from this past weekend. Um, kind of a similar conversation to what we just had about with Michael Carter, uh, a couple of plays here over routes. We're seeing some from the slot. We're seeing some of these from stacked situations or closer to the formation as well. I mean, glowing reports from Elijah Moore feels like decades ago, but out of training camp, but Hayden, again, this was, from two quarterbacks who want to play inside the structure of an offense, a lot of his receptions were from inside of structure. And then inevitably one Corey Davis is going to come back and two Zach Wilson is going to come back to. I hate being the hater again, but he's just another sell high. If people are going to go crazy for him. And 
I want Elijah Moore to be good. And I think that he can be good, but the fact that Jameson Crowder still led the team in routes by a wide margin and they were rotating Denzel Mims in, uh, Keelan Cole was in there. Like this is going to be a, a outside wide receiver rotation since they didn't trade Jameson Crowder at the deadline. He's their slot receiver. Corey Davis, their ex receiver. And if they want to play Keelan Cole and Denzel Mims, who's coming off the field, it's probably going to be Elijah Moore. So um, he has some splits uh, expected half PPR points. He's averaged 6.5 with Davis off the field. When Davis is uh, out there, it drops down to 6.5. So it's 9.2 down to 6.5. I don't know, man. Like, this offense isn't very good, and I think that Corey Davis is still the alpha, and they kept Jameson Crowder for a reason. Like, I just don't see how this is going to work out for him. Yeah, and it might get worse when the starter comes back. I I mean, I think we're going to have Elijah Moore as a as an interesting conversation this summer of, hey, remember yes. those two or three games when he was awesome, and maybe Zach Wilson can learn how to play inside the flow of the offense, because if he does, then Elijah Moore is going to be a big player for them when yep. Jameson Crowder is no longer on this team. We had the white guy who's the best quarterback in Jets history, and he still, Elijah Moore, only had wide receiver 42 fantasy usage over the last four weeks, and that's without Corey Davis. Like, it's just not going to happen. Uh, I also want to talk about Rondell Moore. So Rondell Moore, we finally got a lot of it. 62 of 70 snaps. Now, snaps were had, yards were run, but not too much production out there, Hayden. Uh, we saw him, you know, full-time slot because Christian Kirk played a lot of other spots too. We expect DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green to return to the field imminently. So maybe, I mean, how do you want to have this conversation with Rondell Moore? Because I don't want it just to like go back to exactly what we had previously of, well, you can't play him because he's reliant on manufactured touches. The A dot man, like how how are you supposed to be a fantasy player when you're A dot? Far is like, the lowest in the NFL. It's like one. It's like one. Like that's like Debo Samuel had a higher A dot last year. You know, like this is it's tough. I don't I don't know what to say. It's I hope it's just not a long term issue. Like, that's my thing. I hope that this is not a long term issue because this is exactly how he was used at Purdue. Like he rarely was ever targeted more than ten yards downfield. It maxes him at, maximizes him as a real life player. Um, and I think that if Chase Edmonds is out, maybe they get like Rondell Moore, like a, like a little bit more involved, like with some scheme stuff. But I don't know. He's a backup when everyone's healthy and the ADOT's too low. Even when he's out there, it's just going to be hard. So he's going to be he's going to have a cool highlights. I just am worried that slot receiver only low yep. ADOT only not going to be a red zone threat. Like it's hard to see how this is going to work out. And I just hope this isn't a long term issue for him. Yep. Five targets, five receptions. 25 yards. I, I do like, let's say the scripts were flipped. I think Arizona would have gotten him much more involved this past week, but they weren't. I mean, they were obviously were in control of the entire game. Um, I saw Adam Levitan tweet this, and I think a lot of people will want this. Nick Rudman, our friend at Underdog, had a similar idea that, hey, without Chase Edmonds, why don't we get Rondell Moore some backfield usage? I think that those would also have to be manufactured receptions out in space. I, I think people underestimate, one, how difficult it is to play running back, how difficult it would be to play running back at 5'7", 180. Because when you look at Chase Edmonds, and Adam uses the term full-blown Chase Edmonds role, that's not happening. Chase Edmonds, 59% of his carries were between left guard to right guard. Like, you want Rondell Moore 
doing gap and zone straight up the middle into the teeth of a defense? Absolutely not. But what you and I talked about in Slack here, Hayden, and I think maybe this is the bigger point that Adam was saying, could we get some cool things with, you know, a, a backfield presence that is out in James, uh, excuse me, in Chase Edmonds, who had been, you know, creating plays between the 20s? Can we anticipate Cliff maybe doing some of that? Yes. But do I think Rondell Moore is not going to get running back usage? No. Let me translate that for Adam Levitan. He wants like two screens from the backfield a game. Like that's kind of it. And like lining up in the backfield for maybe some like zone weird, like zone read weird flips, jet sweeps, that type of stuff. I think that they could use them on a third and 10 in the backfield. Yeah, like five like, snaps in the backfield. Yeah. Hey, that's, yeah. you'll take that. If you, if you like Rondell Moore, you need okay. what, I, what I see is full blown chase Edmonds role. You're a oh, hater. Yeah. You're, you're too, you're, you're too, you're too granular. Let, let the people live. Let the people live. I'm realistic. Okay. Now Rudman Alan is Robin. out here saying that he wants to play <laughs> running back and he's going to suit up. Yeah, we got the people on tilt. Nick, you're listing your weight. You'd be the heaviest running back in the NFL right now if you were out there, weren't you? 277? Come on. You're 100 pounds heavier than Rondale Moore right now. 100 pounds difference. Uh, let's talk about Devontae Smith because, Hayden, we've been on this show before saying, oh, man, if you just isolate Devontae Smith in his routes, he's creating separation at the top. He's fantastic. I mean, what is this rookie doing? And then he doesn't get production. And then this past weekend, Hayden, he finally got the most production or one of them of his rookie season. Six targets, five receptions, 116 yards, and a score. Basically, what I'm saying is, despite the low target total, the receptions were high, the efficiency was very high, which leads me to say, Devontae Williams has been doing this type of quality output all season long, but just because the quarterback and the offense that he's attached to, it's going to be so unpredictable to know when it's going to happen on a week-to-week basis. You're right. I think that he's been getting open all year, but there's just been a couple missed time throws and a couple where he didn't come down with a contested catch. Um, but I think that his like I think that uh, when Matt Harmon does reception perception for him, like gonna be they're going to be like, yeah, let's go here. Um, he's had a 29 percent target share since Zach Ertz has left. The problem, though, is that also coincides with the Eagles giving up on the pass game. So you can't have it both ways. It's literally just only Devontae Smith and uh, Dallas Goddard being targeted like. There's no more Jalen Rager. There is no more Quez Watkins. Like those, there's not a second tight end. It's only those two, which is good news. But they just need to pass the ball more um, for Devonta Smith to be a, a must-play guy. Like right now, he's like wide receiver 55 in usage over the last four weeks, and that is including a 29% target share. They're just not passing the ball at all. Yeah, I, I totally. The the narrative you just painted of. Matt having a bunch of green on the route trees. Oh. It's absolutely going to be true. This Sounds like a Christmas tree. <laughs> Allen Robinson, 68 yards. Congratulations. Six targets, four receptions. Uh, hey, maybe the bigger point here, though, we, we talked about the emergence of Justin Fields just as a thrower and this offense looking a bit more open and, and productive, especially in second halves the last two weeks. Um, we talk about in the preview show expected points for the bears each and every week. It's like 16, 17, 18. Well, even in losses, 22 points and 27 points. The last two games, again, improvement is improvement. The right word here for Allen Robinson, potentially the rest of the season. Cause I'm going to lean. No, I'm hopeful 
a little more hopeful than I was. Uh, we'll see. They have a bye week. Uh, I hope that they just get better. But I think that Allen Robinson's at least like he did enough the last two weeks, and Justin Fields showed enough that you should at least roster Allen Robinson through the bye week, which is like better than it was. It could have been like there was a, a percent chance where you should just be dropping on Robinson. I think that they showed enough to kind of wait for the bye week. But yeah, it's it's a wait and see until he has eighty plus yards and six t- six catches then you can't play him, but I'm at least a little bit optimistic now. Allen Robinson or Darnell Mooney rest of season. I'm going to the fantasy usage model and the fantasy usage model says that Darnell Mooney wide receiver 34 over the last four weeks, Allen Robinson wide receiver 56 in usage. So that's where I'm I've been leaning that since early, early the season too. Yeah. The answer is mostly neither. Neither. (laughs) Yeah. Tyler Boyd, uh, not even the forgotten man, but just a position on this team that isn't featured with how little they're passing. I mean, why target heavily the slot wide receiver when you have Jamar Chase making plays down the field and after the catch, and then T. Higgins, who's a contested catch guy. I know Joe Gilbert has talked a lot about how the team has just not hit positive regression in terms of contested catches this year, but specifically with Tyler Boyd because he's getting into what is this guy even doing for me territory. I mean, what do the Bengals want? They're like blowing the charts off on deep passing regression. Like, so they want positive regression at touchdowns, deep targets, and contested catch rate. I mean, come on now. This is just ridiculous. Uh, But with Tyler Boyd, it's just kind of going back to that Rondell Moore discussion. When your ADOT's low and you have other people to throw the ball to, it's almost impossible to be a fantasy wide receiver. If you look historically at slot-only wide receivers who are productive, they are attached to the most pass-heavy offenses and the best quarterbacks ever. There's not a three wide receiver set player that only plays in the slot with a five a dot that's productive unless it's literally like Julian Edelman with Tom Brady and like peak like Larry Fitzgerald. Like it's you have to be so damn good. And like Tyler Boyd's a good player. Uh, it's just not going to happen. He's like wide receiver 60 in fantasy usage. And I don't think that that's going to really change uh, unless there's an injury to T Higgins or Jamar Chase. Yeah, and as Joe points out here, he's still fifth in the NFL in terms of slot wide receiver targets, like pure slot wide receiver targets. But in just this offense right now where he had 110 targets last year, and that was without Jamar Chase on the field, obviously, it's going to hit different. It's going to hit different. Why throw the ball to him when you have Jamar Chase? It's like it's simple as that. I hear you. A few more names. Odell Beckham, we already talked about. So let's finish up with two more names and Jerry Judy. Anything to say about Jerry Judy in his second game back from injury, a game that the Broncos absolutely demolished the Dallas Cowboys. So he's played the two games and he's wide receiver 51 in usage in them. Uh, When I watched the game, he looked totally fine. They were still rotating that second wide receiver spot and two wide receiver sets uh, between him and Tim, uh, Tim Patrick. So we'll see. I don't know. They're the slowest paced offense in the league. Teddy Bridgewater is fine. He's better than Sam Darnold, but he's still the 20th best quarterback, 25th best quarterback in the league. And there's a lot of guys to to give the ball to. And that was without Noah Fant, who should be back too. So I don't know. I guess he can be better than Corlin Sutton long-term, but I just don't see how either one of them are going to have a big floor. Uh, Tim Patrick needs to get removed, and he hasn't. He's still out there uh, plenty. So uh, when they go back to uh, Noah Fant and Albert O are both active, which should be this next week, that's going to be two more two wide receiver set snaps. That's going to be the test. If it's still rotate rotation between – Tim, uh, Tim Patrick and uh, Jerry Judy, that's not going to be good. Now let's talk about Kadarius Tony, uh, Player I planted my flag on during our Sunday start-sit show. 
Hayden, he ties for the most wide receiver snaps on the team with 31. He played 24 of those snaps in the slot, and we have seen him be productive in the slot previously the season without Sterling Shepard. I believe that was the Saints game where he had nine catches or nine targets, six receptions, 78 yards. So what I'm trying to do is show my process here where it doesn't matter if he's in the slot or on the outside. Kadarius Toney in games has been earning targets and been productive on those targets. It doesn't matter if he plays one series. It doesn't matter if he plays an entire game. And this was a game where a lot of people were nervous about playing him because they thought he might be, you know, taken out or be re-injured like he was the previous week. What we got was basically a clean bill of health in a lot of ways heading into this contest. But again, ultimately, all we got was one target, one reception, and nine yards. Is this a Josh Norris problem or is this a Jason Garrett problem? This is a Jason Garrett problem. We just got Jason Garrett. It's as simple as that. He ended up, uh, I think, running a route on like 51% of draw. or like He basically played half of the game. And like that was yeah. just coming out of left field and they weren't like playing superstars like Sterling Shepard is still out. So um, I'll be following press conferences. Maybe they say that this was just because his ankle, but it didn't seem like the ankle was going to be a problem for this one. So who knows? He played uh, 55% of snaps. That's what the usage model says. So I don't know, man, I, we have to, we have to get like some confidence that he's going to be out there before right. we start playing him. And th- this is where we're at right now, because again, that first start he had nine targets, six receptions, 78 yards. Then against Dallas, the following week, when he was an outside wide receiver, we had 13 targets, 10 receptions, 189. We're riding high. It's beautiful. But he gets nicked up in that game late, comes back the next game, hobbled. Three targets, three receptions for 36 yards on that one series. Sorry, that's when he gets hurt. And then. The next game, he barely plays, right? So we have two amazing games and three part-time performances. And I'm just not sure where to go for a player that has oozed talent when on the field to a point where I would be terrified not to play him because I think he can have he has the talent to like take the top off of any given matchup. If they said it was because his ankle, then uh then I think we can play him, but I don't know, man. Yeah. Tough. We have some breaking news. We have Ian Rappaport saying that Sam Darnold has a fractured scapula. They think that's going to most likely uh, cause him to miss, quote unquote, several weeks. So that's why you got Barkley in there. Walker's supposed to start, but it's tough. PJ Walker, well, PJ what, does Walker that do for, what does that do for DJ Moore? Well, they're donezo. PJ Walker came in at the end, like in the fourth quarter of an absolute blowout loss. And sunk up the joint too. So PJ Walker is is maybe he is better, and that wasn't fair to him because he didn't prepare for the whole week as a starter. Um, he did this past week because you know Sam was in concussion protocol. Uh, I would be shocked if there is a game that Christian McCaffrey doesn't have twenty touches the rest of the way. Yep, it's it's that simple to me. And DJ Moore, while early in the season. We had some beautiful, some glorious games from from DJ Moore. Um, I think where he's going to have to be productive is an area where he hasn't been productive through his career so far, and it's near the end zone. It's in the red zone. Um, We've seen a little more of that usage there this season, and he's been more efficient there. And, in fact, he had a touchdown ripped away from him as well. But in terms of racking up those 
90, 100, 120 yard games, those are so much more difficult now moving forward. It's going to be tough for him, man. Like he's going to be like what wide receiver three. Is that fair? Like, I think it's, I think it's a downgrade. He's been a wide receiver 41 the last four weeks with bad Sam Darnold. I think like bad Sam Darnold's probably equivalent to good Matt Barkley or average BJ Walker. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't think that this is going to be affecting the markets that much. I think that like the downgrade okay. from Darnold to PJ Walker is like, it's a little bit there, but like, it's not like that much. That's what, how bad what, he's what playing. they're going to want them to do is just not turn the football over. Like that's been the biggest issue for Sam over this recent streak is giving the defense and the opposing team either points or incredible field position or taking points away by turning the football over in the red zone. So they are going to have watched the a dot of both of Robbie of DJ really drop down in comparison to what it has been. I think. Yeah. It's going to be McCaffrey season for sure. Yeah. At least 20 touches in every single game. Even when they're losing, they're going to hand the football off and a bunch of screens too. It won't just be carries. Bunch of screens, bunch of screens. Uh, let's close out with tight ends, by the way, quickly won't belabor the point like, and subscribe people. We, Love you for supporting us. And as always, if you've never used Underdog Fantasy, what are you doing? Go and try it. Use promo code the show, and we double your deposit. We match it straight out of my back pocket. Tight ends. We talked about Elijah Mitchell, Debo Samuel. What about George Kittle? Tell us about his return uh, to the lineup coming off of injured reserve. He is the fantasy usage model leader right now. He had 13.2 expected half EPR points in his return, 20% target share. Um, I think he's going to be like a top five guy. I don't think he's going to be the number one fantasy uh, tight end just because this was a game where Jimmy G had 20 or or 40 pass attempts. So it's going to be hard for George Kittle, but I think that he looked good. Like that's all I can say. He had the fumble, but everything else looks good. Moving down the list, we had Darren Waller return. He had his same usage. As we're used to TJ Hawkinson, he's coming off the bye. He's on pace for 106 receptions, throw in Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey. Those are the top guys with Kyle Pitts. Like it's like a top six. Then you get into everybody else. The surprise here on the fantasy usage model, Patrick Fryermuth, baby, up to tight end six in usage. He's the tight end two over the last four weeks and half PPR. He has some drastic splits without Eric Ebron, who hasn't been out there, but Eric Ebron's not moving like Patrick Fryermuth, I can tell you right. that. And he looks like an absolute alpha in the red zone, but it's not just that. There was a lot of plays in college and then even in glimpses here where it's dump it off to the flat and like make that guy beat a linebacker. And I think that Patrick Fryermuth uh, should have been a first-round prospect. And we got he got no attention because Kyle Pitts. I think that it's not going to be that big of a surprise if Clay pulls out that Fryermuth's like kind of a legit fantasy asset down the stretch here. Yeah, it's, it's those plays in the flats that you're talking about. It's finding soft areas and quickly in the zone. And it's contested catches that we've seen too, especially in the end zone. In this passing attack, unless something changes, I don't expect like huge yardage games like we've seen from Kyle Pitts, like we've seen from Mark Andrews, like we've seen from Darren Waller. But we also know at the tight end position, such a big differentiator is scoring touchdowns. Three touchdowns in his last two games. And I don't think that that's going away at all. Like he... The more he does well, the more Ben is going to look at him based on what coverage is dictating. And we also know that Ben doesn't want to hold the ball very long at all. Like he wants to get out of his hand quickly. And the closest guy to him is going to be Patrick Fryermuth. In the chat, we have Kyle Pitts or Patrick Fryermuth. I think this both. is probably short term. Uh, the answer is kind of both, but it's, it's certainly Kyle Pitts. Like I think Patrick Fryermuth is going to be more 
like in that Tyler Higby range, like close to like tight end 10 or so down the stretch. But this is very dependent on the, the Chase Claypool notes. Yeah. Um, we also have Tar Higby who had a touchdown, take it away, despite it being inevitable at some point he's going to score touchdowns because he keeps getting end zone and red zone targets or other names like Cole Komet, Dallas Goddard, Johnny Smith. I'm going to close out with any of those names here, Hayden. Yeah, we got a poor one out for Jacob Harris, who was a pre-draft love of mine. He tore his ACL and MCL. Uh, hopefully he gets back for the future. But yeah, Tyler Higby is not coming off the field at all. Dallas Goddard would not panic. 29% targets from him since the, that one trade with Zach Ertz. I think that he's going to have uh, better days when the Eagles are like forced into um, those type of game scripts. So yeah, I think we have like a a pretty good handle. Like I'm with like the top 12, top 13 fantasy tight ends right now. By the way, Zach Ertz has 91 yards after the catch in three games with the Arizona Cardinals. He had 99 yards after the catch in 12 games with the Philadelphia Eagles last year. He actually looks like fluid in the open field, which is not something I would have ever said about Zach Ertz during his time. Okay. One day we'll hit a two hour show. That day is not today. Hayden. This has been great. Everyone out there, go and check out the fantasy usage model. Go and check out the other content up on Underdog, especially if you're checking out NBA games, NBA DFS, NBA pick'em slips. Uh, Bob and the crew have really, really great shows. So go and look at those and just subscribe underneath. They're listed below. Okay, we'll be back here on Thursday. Go ahead, Hayden. This is a doozy. Um, we do not have to react to this as break, breaking news. Uh Adam Schefter said that Dalvin Cook is the victim of a domestic abuse and extortion case. And there's all this nonsense. So who knows? We'll we'll learn more for the preview show, but uh, certainly on our radar, I guess. Wonderful. What a twist to an ending of an episode here that will not be picked up, just like the best dramas out there. Of the villa. next episode. Talk to you all soon. See you on Thursday and especially on Sunday. Bye, everyone. Peace out.